Our scripture reading this morning comes from the first letter from the Apostle Peter. First Peter, chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 4 through 10 to start. First Peter, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. I invite you to turn to that with me. And I want to say it's a real honor to get to speak this morning, and I thank you for this opportunity. I told Stephen several weeks ago that I had a message that's been brewing in me for about five or six months now, and I've been wanting to share this, and I'm thankful that I get this opportunity. I greatly value God's Word and all that it teaches us, of course. And in this particular portion, I have a very specific question for us to answer and to look at together this morning. So let's read together 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. And coming to him, which is Christ, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture, quote, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed, end quote. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And again, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, But now you have received mercy. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful portion from the Apostle Peter that you inspired to write. Thank you for reminding us who Christ is, this precious cornerstone. And Father, we thank you that you have united us with him, with you. And now we are also living stones being built together for a spiritual house. Father, we rejoice in this, and I pray now that you, Holy Spirit, would guide our thinking and cause us to really apply this wonderful passage of Scripture. Guide everything that we say and do. May it be pleasing to you. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. In this portion of scripture, we're challenged to really think about who are you? 
Who are we collectively? I enjoyed bouncing this around with my students this past week, asking them, how do you identify yourself? As a young person or as a senior adult, that might change from the years of experience. Also, when you meet someone new, what do you want to know? How do you inquire? What do you share? What is your identity? Many of us have many things we might want to share or say from the very beginning. A lot of us begin with family. I was always known as Fred's boy, you know, the son of Fred and Roberta. Some of us were known by being a part of the Henson clan or the Treadway family or you know, all the wonderful families that are a part of this church. We were known often by our parents and by our siblings. But there's so much more to us than that, isn't there? They have molded us. But there's so much more than just being the image of your father or your mother or living in a particular family environment. Sometimes we're known by where you live. We were asked that question a lot this past week. Where are you from? Well, we're from the States and we're from Mississippi. Oh, Mississippi. Wow, we're, that's a long way. Yeah, that's a long way from here. You know, or you, we were meeting other Americans from California. We met people who grew up in New York and they moved to Ireland. They met someone married, stayed there. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, we often attribute where we're from we're, or our nationality. We're American. We're from the South. Uh, we're um, Mississippi. Sometimes you're known by, and I know we men may be worse about this than the ladies, but we're also mostly known by what we do. What's your occupation? Well, I'm a professor. I serve church. I'm a minister. You think about what we do, but that might be a visible identity, but that's not all we are. What you do is not who you are. But we often identify ourselves that way. An occupation, a place of employment. Often where we live is dictated by our employment. And so the people we know, the friends, the acquaintances we make are often influenced by our occupation. Also, we have affiliations. We have schools. We have places where we graduated. We have professional organizations that we belong to that give us a sense of identity. We have strong Mississippi State and Ole Miss allegiances around here, don't we? And either you're one or the other. You can't be neutral. You know, so a lot of times these... That affects our identity of how people know us. Also, we have our accomplishments. It's great when we rise in education and opportunities and job, and we have a certain standing in the community by our accomplishments. Also, we have hobbies. We have sports teams, and we have passions, individual interest. And sometimes that's what really makes us most interesting, Right? Your passions, what you love, what you enjoy doing. Some of us are known by golfing buddies or by uh, uh, clubs and groups that we participate together. And there's a lot of ways in which we find our identity. And I find it very interesting because how we identify ourselves greatly affects how we communicate, how we interact with others. And so I want to ask you this morning, who are you? 
How do you identify yourself? And this passage of Scripture really tells us wonderfully that once we are united with Christ, once we come to him, we have a whole new life, a new purpose, a new identity. We are a new creation. And so I want us to talk about this this morning. We are united with Christ. And I want to touch on several scripture passages if you'd like to follow along with me. Immediately my thoughts go to John chapter 3. The words of Jesus to Nicodemus. John chapter 3. This wonderful question. Nicodemus asks Jesus and he gives him this very, very profound answer. Jesus said in verse 3 of chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit." And then in chapter 4, measure, pay, uh, right across the page, or in verse 23 of chapter 4, Jesus in another very special conversation says, An hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. One of those most profound teachings from Jesus about what is true worship. Being born of the spirit and worshiping God the spirit in the spirit is so crucial to our new identity. If you skip to chapter 14 of John, Jesus teaching his disciples and his such a profound way right before he's going to the cross. John chapter 14, verse 16, he tells him again, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And later in verse 19, he says, Because I live, you will live also. The Holy Spirit abiding in us. That being born of the Spirit and the Spirit working in us. And in John 15, verse 4, we have these wonderful teachings about abiding in Christ. Abide in me and I in you. In verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. He goes on to talk about how God is pleased when we bear fruit and we represent him. So abiding in Christ, abiding in his love, and abiding in the spirit working and living in us. Of course, in Acts chapter 2, we have the wonderful teaching about the Pentecost coming, the Holy Spirit coming as a visible representation of Christ living in his people. And then Romans chapter 6, Paul gives us a wonderful explanation of what it means to be united with Christ. This is one of the words I probably like the most when you describe salvation. It's the fact that we are united with Christ. We become eternally connected with him. As he tells us in uh, verse 3 of chapter 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. So we, he who has died with Christ is free from sin. Now, if you've died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. And he'd say that our new life is to live to God, alive to God in Christ Jesus. So if we are united with Christ, we are made alive to God. We're no longer dead in our sins and trespasses, as he talks about the Apostle Paul mentioned several places. And in Romans chapter 8, we have this wonderful confirmation that those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. What a great blessing. And that for the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And then in chapter 12 of Romans, verse 1, we have another wonderful explanation of what it means to be in Christ. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So presenting ourselves to God as living sacrifices. And we'll see how that compares beautifully with the first Peter passage in just a moment. So we're living sacrifices, and now we have entered into this new body of Christ, as 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beautifully demonstrates that we are now the body of Christ. We represent Christ. We are his. We are his people, and we live as the body of Christ. And we have various gifts that we serve and share so that we can be effective and helpful to the body, and that we're not individual members, but that we belong to something much bigger than just ourselves, that we belong to him, the body of Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5 gives us this wonderful explanation that we now are new creations. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if you want to follow along with me here, verse 17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. 
Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So in this new identity, we are a new creation. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. And we celebrate this new purpose and passion of who we are. In Galatians 2.20, maybe one of those verses you first memorized. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself and delivered himself for me. So now we are this new creation. We belong to Christ. We are his ambassadors. We represent him. In Ephesians chapter 2, we have a wonderful explanation of how we're saved by faith in God who is rich in mercy. He lavished his salvation on us and made us alive together with Christ. And in Philippians, we have several passages, too, that are talking about this wonderful union. And because we're part of the body of Christ, we're not left alone, but we belong to one another. And that takes us beautifully to 1 Peter chapter 2. This wonderful explanation that Peter gives us about who we are. So I'll just highlight these things now as we talk about what it means to be in Christ and united with him. We have a new purpose. We have a new life. We are new creations. And so that should be our main identity. So he calls us living stones. (laughs) Christ is the chief cornerstone. So if we're connected, united with Christ, it's like we're cemented together with him. One of the things I enjoyed about our recent trip was these beautiful castles and beautiful old churches. These huge blocks that are being holding together for centuries. And it's a beautiful picture of being the church. We're like these living stones connected together to form a beautiful new dwelling place. We're united with Christ and other believers. So we're a new person, we have new identity, and we belong to one another with a new purpose together. And then starting in verse 9 of chapter 1 of first, or chapter 2 of 1 Peter, here's the things that we are. And I hope this really encourages you today. Think about who you are in Christ. Now you are a chosen race. We're no longer Jew or Gentile. We're not separated by color, ethnicity. We are all one body in Christ. Male, female, Jew, Gentile. There is no division. We are now united together. We have one race. We are the chosen race. We are his people. Secondly, he says, we are a royal priesthood. Now, it's, it's fun to, it's not talking any longer about the tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi in the Old Testament was the designated tribe that was to lead in worship. They were set apart. They did not have their own land, but they were unique, and 24-7 they were ministering to the Lord in the tabernacle of the temple. But we're not under the tribe of Levi. Now we have a new high priest. We are priests 
under Jesus's reign. He is our high priest and we share in his ministry. So we are now the royal priesthood. <laughs> we are part of the eternal son of God's priesthood. So we are dedicated to God in his worship. We have been given a new place of belonging and calling, and we've been given a task, a ministry. We are part of the priesthood. So this is what's so beautiful about worship. Worship is the key act of the priesthood. So we get to participate in that spiritual worship as his fellow children and heirs. And then next he says, we are a holy nation. When you travel, you see real differences about different nations and how they live and their government, their history, their past, who they are, religion, how religion was a part of their struggle and their identity. Uh, a lot of injustice involved in that through the years. But the idea that now we are one holy nation. We are belong to a spiritual, eternal citizenship. And... Uh, I'm realizing more and more, I'm a proud American. But my attitude about that is changing through the years. I'm realizing that's not my greatest joy, my greatest citizenship in being a proud Southern American. My greatest citizenship is being a part of Christ's kingdom, of his nation. And that's taken on a much greater role as I understand that more and more. But now we're part of his nation. We belong to the kingdom of God. It supersedes all earthly kingdoms that come and go. And as Jesus told Pilate when he was being on trial, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's heavenly. It's the eternal kingdom. It was one that's greater and it's eternal. So now we belong to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ. We are no longer divided by nationality, government, Hemisphere, people group, tribe, or language. But now we're all one, belonging to Christ. So now we are the holy nation. And then last, he sums it up very beautifully here by calling us a people for God's own possession. I think this particularly crosses over those family ties. You know, sometimes I used to think, you know, I had a great identity because of who I was in my family. And my father really taught me, I hope, I think some of you have shared this and your father's passing this on to you about being, I've given you a good name, now live up to it, son. Or you must remember where you, who you are and where you came from. Did that message ever get communicated? It's like, remember who you are, remember where you came from. Don't get too high and mighty in your educational pursuits and whatever. You know, you remember who you are. And so that importance of family, of who we come from, of uh, humble beginnings or a rich heritage of ministry and ministers and faithful Christians before us. So, but now we are a people for God's possession. We're people of God. We're the body of Christ. We're the family of God. We have been adopted. We're now heirs of the kingdom. And we are fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. 
You know, one of the things about family, I saw this particularly very true in a lot of European countries, the first son is the one who inherits the land. The others, good luck, go find a job doing something else. You don't get the land. You don't get the heritage. We see that in the Bible. The first son was the one who was given the heritage right. But now we all are fellow heirs. We not have to be just the firstborn of some uh, noble person. But now Christ is the firstborn, and we're fellow heirs with him. And so we belong. We are inheriting his promises So we're the heirs of the kingdom and fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. Therefore, we are to imitate Christ. We are to look like him. We're to act like him. We are to be filled with his spirit, his goodness, his likeness. We are to have the fruit of the spirit evident coming out of us, popping up, showing that we're his children. We're his son and daughter. We have this likeness of Christ. We're being transformed by the Holy Spirit, making us more and more into the likeness of Christ. We want to look and act and be like him because we are his possession. We are his family. So that's so much application there of imitating Christ and being filled with his spirit. And then with that, we have this wonderful future inheritance eternal life, a place in his kingdom, we have a home that cannot be destroyed. We have a mansion in glory, as the good old gospel hymns talk about, mansion laid up in glory, heaven. And that particularly we see this, you know, Christ said, I go to prepare a place for you. What incredible promise that Christ is preparing a place for us in his kingdom. And he is seated at the right hand of God. And we, you know, Philippians, I believe, was talking about we are already seated in the heavenly places. Our future is so secure as if we're already there. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So we are eternally secure with him. Amen. And he wraps it all up by saying, I love this little expression, therefore, or so that. So, if this is true, if we now have this new identity and this new life, so what? What do we do? How do we live? And he talks about, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, we rejoice in any time that we can proclaim something about God and his wonderful work. As we read in Psalm 111, you know, he made his wonders to be remembered. His works are great and glorious. And so we get to proclaim him. We proclaim his wonderfulness, his excellencies, that this reality in Christ is so superior that there is no other religion that has anything to offer compared to Christ. We have now a totally new life, identity, purpose, passion. We have a reason for living. We have a future inheritance. And we have so much that we have been given in Christ. So if if we can just grasp that and live up 
So many times people might have an inheritance, but if they don't live it and get to experience it, they don't know what they have. And I think it's that so much with us as Christians. We don't really know all that we have. Or if we do, we've just scratched the surface. I know my own understanding, I feel like I've just sort of scratched the surface of what all is there and who we are in Christ. But we have this superior, superior reality of who God is through his wonderful salvation in his son, Jesus. And we are to proclaim his greatness. We are to glorify him. That's one of the best words. We glorify him by looking like him, acting like him, being his people, worshiping him, holding up that priesthood, working in the task he's given us to do. We glorify him. We testify. We share. We proclaim You know, it's so neat. I enjoyed watching my students testifying and witnessing to people on our trip this past week, witnessing to our guide, witnessing to our bus driver. They were just doing that on their own because it was just spilling out of them. You know, we testify to who we are. We proclaim his excellence. So we live like him, with him, for him, and we are to exalt him. The Psalms often say that word, exalt the Lord. I will exalt the Lord with all of my mouth and strength. You know, that's the idea of exalting, proclaiming, magnifying him, lifting him up, telling of his excellence. So we are living stones for this wonderful purpose. And we are living sacrifices that daily presenting ourselves to God as living sacrifices. So in conclusion, here's a little application I was thinking for us. And I I hope this is really helpful and that it really is encouraging to you this morning. An application of this. We have a new life. A total new identity. A sense of belonging. A family. Being bound together eternally as these living stones being built together. And secondly, we have a new purpose, a new function. We have a reason to live. And I hope that we can be inspired by this purpose that we have to proclaim his excellencies and to celebrate him. So that's our new purpose, a new function. We're part of that royal priesthood, remember? So in our royal priesthood, we have a job. We have a function. We're given a task, and so we have this wonderful privilege of working with Christ and being a part of his purpose. And then thirdly, we have a new calling. We have a work, a ministry, a service. It goes right along with that purpose. We have a purpose, and we have a new calling, and so we are to work and function as his people. Fourthly, we have a new destination. It's much greater than what we've seen so far. It's much greater what's coming. So we have this eternal home in glory, a new destination that we can keep our eyes fixed and looking forward to what lies ahead. And then fifthly, wraps it up with the concept, we are the people of God. We have received mercy and redemption. We are his people. So let's live and rejoice and 
act like his people in all that we have inherited. So finally, as living stones being built up as a spiritual house, we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So we are to worship. We're a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So let us encourage one another in this work, in this life, in this task, and in this wonderful privilege that we have to be the people of God. And may we offer up our spiritual sacrifices, proclaiming who he is, rejoicing in all that we are and all that we have received. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for all that you have done for us. Father, I pray that you would stir us up. Cause us to desire to live in this wonderful new life and identity. Cause us to live with great purpose and a real desire, looking forward to all that you have for us as your people, fellow heirs with Christ Jesus. Father, we rejoice in all of this. I pray that you'll continue to teach us, guide us, help us to have understanding and wisdom so that we can live like your people and be your body here at this time and place. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's sing as our closing hymn now, hymn number 498, and rejoice.